Hello, online family. My name is Matthew Malik, and I'm the lead pastor here at Refuge. We are so incredibly glad that you chose to tune in to the Refuge official podcast today. We believe the message you are about to hear will inspire you in a very meaningful way. We believe the Lord is ready and willing to do a great work in your life. And we believe that you'll hear from him today. Please enjoy. Are you ready for the word? Um, I want to um, just share something during worship. Uh, God began to speak to me and gave me a thought. And I believe it's something that God wants to do in this service today. What came to me is God is bringing people out of dark places. And he's bringing people out of a place of darkness into the light. Now, the, the issue with that is light exposes what's wrong. And very often people will live in deception because they're in the dark and they don't see the wrong. But light exposes darkness, not because God doesn't love us, but because he wants to deliver us. He wants to help us. He wants to set us free from whatever darkness would try to ensnare your life with God wants you free. I really believe he wants you free. Now, this morning, we're starting a brand new series entitled, um, uh, it's actually the series message is Nehemiah, A Time to Build. And so we're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah. And uh, we have uh, just a few weeks here to be talking about it. And John Titus is going to be bringing the message next week on the rebuilding of the walls. You don't want to miss that. That's going to be a powerful message. But I believe that this series is very uh, parallel to the times that we live in, uh, that we're facing in the crisis in America and the things that we're dealing with. And, and so the Lord put this on our heart uh, uh, as we were planning and looking ahead for this year that we would do uh, teaching and the study of the book of Nehemiah. And I believe you will be blessed. And my encouragement to you is to read the book of Nehemiah. And so that when we come each week and share the word, that you'll be able to better relate to what's being shared and spoken. And so um, this morning in part one of the series, I'm going to be talking about the return of Nehemiah, the return of Nehemiah. And, and now, uh, and before I say anything else, I want to thank Tim for his message last week. He concluded our foundation series on a message entitled Faulty Foundations. And truly, it was a moving message that I believe brought conviction and self-examination to people as they looked at their lives. And a statement that he shared, and I want to repeat this because I, I, I really believe it's a strong statement and it's something we need to really take hold of. And that is the greatest foundational issue in a believer's life, is not submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's something I believe we're all called to do as believers, to truly submit to his Lordship. And Jesus said in Luke six forty six, Now why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Disobedience to the Lord Jesus Christ is a result of not being submitted to him fully. So my challenge to you, and echoing the words of, of Tim Kleinley last week when he showed, 
become submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I, I love the word submit because it simply means to come under the mission. Submission is to come under the mission. And Jesus has a mission concerning your life. And to be submitted to him is not bondage, but it's freedom. In fact, he stated, Tim stated, if there's any area in your life that you are not experiencing freedom, it may be an area that you have not fully submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I believe that submission to Jesus Christ is not bondage, but it's freedom. In fact, uh, this is my statement to kind of add on and to what Tim was saying. True freedom is not to do whatever pleases you, but true freedom is God's grace, ability, and enablement working in you to do what pleases him. See, I don't want to do what pleases me anymore. I want to do what pleases him. And see, that's really what submission is about. Uh, who are we serving? John eight thirty six. Jesus is all about your freedom. He said, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. See, there's a freedom that Jesus gives us that cannot be found anywhere else. And when Jesus sets you free, there's an experience of what is true freedom. Because not all freedom is true. It may be a false freedom. Now, what does a fully surrendered life look like? I think that's what you need to determine. What do you live for right now? Who do you live for right now? What is your driving passion? You know, more than ever, and I'm going to be 64 years old. Now, for some of you, that's really old. But to me, I still feel I'm young. I'm young at heart, okay? And uh, I can't run the marathon. I could probably if I practiced, you know. But uh, I can't do all the things I used to do, but I'm not going to play dead and just sit idle either. But um, uh, there's a growing passion and love for Jesus that is unceasing. And I don't believe we ever have to fall into complacency, give place to compromise and backslide, thinking we've uh, reached a place and I walk with God that now we can coast for the rest of our life. We should always be pressing in and pressing on, pressing upward for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, there's now this is going off script here. And maybe if we get to the notes, that's fine. If we don't, that's fine. But something that I long for in my life is when I stand face to face with Jesus Christ and that day will come for me, that day will come for you. That when I stand face to face before him, you know what I want to hear him say? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of your Lord. I live to hear those words. So that means I'm committing myself to faithfully serve him, not serve myself or other interests. And I believe that I don't want to hear the other words because in the same scenario of Scripture, some people, he says, depart from me. I never really knew you. I don't want to hear those words. I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I want to challenge you with that too. 
that that be your heart crying. All right. So what comes to mind when you hear the word return? Well, this time of the year, how about tax return? You know, <laughs> yeah, have you done your taxes? I'm still working on it. Okay. We're talking about the return of Nehemiah. Okay. Some of you are thinking tax return. I got to get that done. Okay. Now, um, return, uh, it, it may be something you think about investment. You think about a return on your investment, how your stock's doing. Uh, return has many applications. Return actually means to go back or come back again to restore to a former or normal state. And, and I think now, uh, in light of COVID, we're asking the question, is it ever going to be normal? What's going to be normal now? But return means to return to a normal state. And, and it could also be a negative thing. Return can be positive or negative. Returning to bondage that you've been delivered from. Or returning to the Lord from a backslidden state, coming back to God. You know, the, the whole issue in, with the children of Israel was they kept entertaining returning to Egypt. Think about that. They're in the wilderness. They're in other places. They're even in Israel, the promised land. And there were times that they were tempted to go back to Egypt. But in Egypt, they were slaves. They were in bondage. Why would you want to go back into slavery? But that's likened on what we consider sin. People return to the bondage or the slavery of sin. And Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, At last we have freedom. From the Passion Translation, it reads, for Christ has set us free. We must always cherish this truth and firmly refuse to go back to the bondage of our past. Wow. You know, the, the sinful fleshly nature has that tendency to always go back there, to give into sin, to yield. But yet, that's bondage. So we need to stand fast in the liberty and the freedom where Christ has set us free. And so that can often be a fight because the fleshly tendencies want to draw us away from God, but yet the Spirit of God is empowering us to move closer to God. So, and another aspect of return, and we can't neglect this, is we cannot neglect to mention the return of Jesus Christ. You know, how many of you watched the movies like Return of the Jedi, uh, Superman's Return, you know, all, all these things. There's this concept of return in our culture. But we cannot neglect the return of Jesus. Guess what? Jesus Christ is coming back to physically rule and reign on this earth. He came the first time. He was here physically. He came as a servant to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. But he's returning in all of his glory and splendor, splendor as Lord and King and ruler of the earth. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to that time. That's going to be great. Um, so in Philippians 1.6, I love this verse in the New Living Translation that refers to the return of Christ. And this is so true. I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns, or Christ Jesus returns. Wow. Can, can you imagine? That's completion day. When he returns, you know, you may be on the journey, but when he returns, that work will be done. It's going to be like fast forward to completion. That should excite you. 
Okay. All right. Now, the significant point I desire you to take away is the word within the word return, and that is the word turn. Okay. Turn. Every one of us need turning points in our life when we're faced with situations and circumstances that are beyond our control. And maybe today you need a turning point in your life. You need the opportunity to make an about face and turn from a situation that's taking you downward and turn to what can take you upward, to lift you up, to build you up, to deliver you, and to bring freedom into your life. You know, I want to contend for your freedom. I don't want to see you dealing with bondages and and, uh, addictions and things that are trying to destroy you. As a shepherd of this house, I want to see you walk in the freedom and liberty of Jesus Christ. I don't want to see the people of refuge struggle with bondages. Oh, yeah, there's a struggle, but I want to see you walk in the freedom to be free from fear, to be free from pain, to be free from affliction. Now, those things will come. But we can get through it and overcome it because we're overcomers. And many times as as we're walking through the crisis where we draw closer to God and experience his mighty hand and we grow through things, I'm thankful to God for the tests and trials that I've endured in life because it's made me the man that I am today because I've overcome things that have tried to destroy my life. And God wants you to overcome things that are trying to destroy your life as well. So Hosea, 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 hey, new guy in the Bible, okay? (laughs) Hosea chapter 14, 1 through 2, we see this call from the scripture. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Verse 2 goes on to say, bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all of our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. I I believe that's wonderful. So let's look at the book of Nehemiah. That was my introduction. (laughs) But the nice thing about series, we'll just unhook and pick it up next week, okay? (laughs) Uh, The book of Nehemiah opens in the Persian city of Susa in the year 444 B.C., In that particular year, Nehemiah traveled to Israel, leading the third of three returns by the Jewish people following 70 years of exile or captivity. And see, because of the nation's sins, because they broke covenant with God, God continued to warn them that if they don't repent and turn from their sin, they're going to be taken out of their land and taken to a land of captivity where they'll serve under an ungodly kingdom. And then through that, after 70 years, they would return. And so this is the time of the return where the people are coming back to walk into the promise of God to experience what God truly intends for them. Now, and realize this, this is a thought that you need to understand. God is always about getting you back on track with his original plan. In fact, all of redemption is trying to get us back into a place that we, exper- that we can experience what Adam and Eve had in the garden before sin had, been, had entered the world. God's desire and design is to restore what he originally designed for humanity, and that is life without sin 
It's freedom in him to experience the fullness of God and be in such an intimate relationship with him, to know him and to be known of him, okay? Now, so under Nehemiah's leadership, the Jews withstood opposition and came together to accomplish their goal. Now, Nehemiah led by example. He was a leader by example, giving up a respected position in the palace. He served under the king at that time in Persia. Uh, and he exchanged that to suffer hardship and, and, and going back to a place that was devastated and to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem and to lead that charge. Now, the book of Nehemiah shows the kind of significant impact that one person can make to impact the whole nation. And don't ever underestimate your value as a person. Don't ever underestimate the value of what you can do when you fully surrender to God's purpose for your life. Even if it's changing one life. But I, I believe that as you fully embrace what God has for you, he wants to use you in a way that's far beyond what you could ever imagine. You can make a difference. Nehemiah served in secular offices, using his position actually to bring back the Jews, uh, to bring order, stability, and proper focus on God to the people of, of God. Now, uh, when we look at the main message of the book of Jeremiah, the book of Nehemiah continues the history of the Jews who returned from exile. Nehemiah gave up his position as cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. In fact, uh, he was the Persian king at that time. Uh, so then he was appointed, Nehemiah was appointed to be governor of Jerusalem and lead the people in repairing the city walls. Now, Nehemiah was written, actually, to show the obvious hand of God in the establishment of his people in the homeland, to get them back home, to get them back home. And under his leadership, they accomplished in 52 days what was absolutely impossible, even by today's standard. I've been to Jerusalem twice, and I've had the opportunity to walk the walls, the rebuilt walls of the city of Jerusalem. And the city isn't that huge um, and I don't remember how long it took me to walk around the whole wall. Uh, you can actually, you can walk on the wall. Then you have these towers. You have to go into the tower, go up steps, down steps. You continue on the wall. You walk around the whole city. And they're pretty massive walls. They were built. and They were basically leveled, those walls. They were rebuilt in 52 days. Even by today's standards, with today's technology, that would be a hard feat to accomplish. And so this was truly a miracle. And so the hand of God was so evident that he was doing something significant in an hour. Now, walls may have been torn down in your life. And you may think that it's impossible to restore these walls. And what are walls? Walls are really there for protection. You know, uh, in your home, you have walls. Walls give you privacy when you go to the bathroom. Aren't you thankful that the toilet isn't sitting out in an open room? <laughs> yeah, walls give you protection. It, gives, it protects your privacy. It gives you protection from the elements of weather, the storm. It protects you from enemies. You know, um, years ago, we had a couple uh, visit us from Uganda. And uh, we actually... Uh, been to Uganda ministering with that couple as well. But when they came to the United States and we were driving with them and we were coming to a house 
they made this comment. said, I'm just so confused. Why aren't there walls around the neighborhoods and the communities? Around your home. Your home is vulnerable. There's no walls. Anybody can drive up in your driveway. And I said, well, that's normal for us. Until I went to Africa, and every place had walls, walls everywhere. Because it, it kept, and, and one of the questions says, how do you keep the bandits out? The bandits, those are the thieves, okay? <laughs> how do you keep those people out? Well, see, that's under a different culture, but some cultures experience the significance of walls. And at that time in history, cities had walls around them to protect them from the enemy. Now, we live in a free and open society, and we don't have walls like in ancient times. But in that time, a wall was significant and very important for protection, okay? Now, and uh, Nehemiah is one of Israel's great leaders who tells, we believe that, uh, uh, theologians believe that he actually wrote and penned the book of Nehemiah. So he gives the narrative of this uh, rebuilding of the walls, the facing of odds and overcoming the national shame uh, that they experienced in their exile and reforming of their conduct so they could conduct so they could return to God. Now, Nehemiah responds to crisis. And we want to talk about that because how do we respond to crisis when we face it? Um, Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 1, and we'll take it up at verse 1. Nehemiah 1. In the late autumn, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was in the fortress of Susa. Hen and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Verse 3, they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So Nehemiah hears this report. Things aren't going well. Uh, things, it's, it's not going well. How many of you heard that report? When you turn on the news in, in our nation, things aren't going well. What are we doing in, in the nation of crisis right now? How do we respond to this? And, and I believe that Nehemiah responded in the way that we need to respond in this hour. Verse 4 goes on to say, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. Now, I, I want to pause right there. Sometimes we hear this news and we can just complain and complain. But we have to do something beyond just complaining. It goes on to say, in fact, for days I mourned, I fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love and obey his commands. So he went on the time of prayer, not just for 30 minutes, not just for an hour, but for an extended time, he began to really truly seek God because of this crisis. Now, I believe 
In the midst of crisis, God is calling us to a place of bold confidence in him. He wants us to stand for the truth. And I believe preach a message that is full of hope. See, we must present a message that is full of faith and life-giving. We must lay a foundation of prayer, I believe, that will fuel a message of hope. I have three points I want to share with you this morning. And I'm going to move through this a little bit quickly, so you just feel free to take notes and and you can uh, go back and listen to this message later if you miss anything. Point number one, Nehemiah was moved by what he saw, which moved him to pray. And, and, and seeing the condition, it wasn't that he had, you know, they didn't have TV cameras back then, so he couldn't see uh, the, the news reels from, from Jerusalem, but he heard the report. But because of that, it moved him to pray. Now, I have a question for all of you here this morning. What tragic situation, what issue or circumstance in life, other than your own personal situation, would break you? What would compel you to take action and move you to a place of prayer? See, sometimes we can be so caught up with our own issues. And and God wants to meet you and, and help you in your own issues. But I believe that Beyond that, we need to see the needs around us and be moved by the concerns around us, the circumstances around us. We can't always just be focused on us for no more. Because, you know, in in my heart now, in Deb's heart right now, is what kind of world are we leaving for our children and grandchildren? And what can we do to guarantee a secure future for them? How... And what can we do to be involved, to make a difference, to be a voice of truth in this hour? And I believe the most important thing is we need to reach people who don't know God, who have not encountered him. Because once they encounter him, there's a work of transformation that takes place. Not just change, because you can make a decision to change, but until you're transformed, you can still change back to how you were. But when you're transformed, you are, you are in a new trajectory. And I want to live a transformed life, not a changed life. And I encourage you to purpose to live a transformed life, not just a changed life. He, uh, Romans 12, 2 says that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Okay? Um, the issue in Nehemiah's day was vulnerability. Because the walls were broken down. Because the walls of protection were not up, the people were vulnerable and exposed to the enemy's attack. And I believe in our day, walls are down. And we're vulnerable for the enemy's attack unless something is done. So be moved as Nehemiah was moved by what he saw. Let it move you to prayer. Let it move you to spend time with God to really intercede and and pray for the conditions that we're facing. Now, point number two, Nehemiah took ownership for the devastation. Let's uh, pick it up from verse six in Nehemiah chapter one. And this is his prayer. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. 
I confess that we have sinned against you. Notice he included himself in that. He took that place of an intercessor. He identified with those who had sinned. And, and that's important because, and I think we can't always say, well, that's those people, you know. No, we need to take issue and pray as we see Nehemiah did. He took ownership for the devastation. He took responsibility for it. Even though it was probably not his fault, he took responsibility as if it was his fault, okay? Now, notice it says, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. And we all have sinned in some capacity, right? We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, the decrees, the regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Verse 8, please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Now, he was in a very safe, secure place. He could have stayed there and enjoyed his time in the palace, serving under the king, but he couldn't stay in the palace because of his burden, of his heaviness for his people and the condition of his, his land. Now, Nehemiah asked for mercy and recognized that God was ultimately in, in, in control of the situation, so he had to depend on him. We must depend on God. Nehemiah's first response to crisis was to go to God asking for mercy. Second, he petitioned the king asking for favor from ruling men. And, and so we see Nehemiah's prayer for favor in verse 11. It says, O oh Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. And so uh, we know that it's important to have a good reputation with men uh, in, in the natural, as in, uh, Nehemiah did with the king. Verse, uh, turn to chapter 2, if you're there, Nehemiah. We're going to go there. We'll skip there. Um, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, when he went to the king, this is what he asked. Uh, they, actually, the king said, how can I help you? Because he appealed to the king for the crisis because he didn't have resources to rebuild the wall. He didn't have uh, what it took to go back to Israel to, to help in the midst of the crisis. So in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says the king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to God of heaven, I replied, If it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. So guess what? He went on government expense to do this job. The Lord provided through the king the resources he needed. And um, now the, the work of rebuilding the wall begins. And um, I, I think... I wanted to get into some of this, but we're going to leave this up for next week because that's what we're going to talk about, the rebuilding of the wall. But uh, what, what we see in chapter 2, verses 17 through 20, and I'll just kind of paraphrase this, we see the people coming together and embracing the project. They began the good work. 
they began to take hold of this vision. Yes, we can do this. With God's help, we can do this. And so, uh, in fact, verse 20 says, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. Wow. See, the people were on board. See, as a congregation, we need to be on board with building what God wants built because he has some projects for us to accomplish in our community and beyond. He has some things that he wants you to do in regards to the vision that he's given us. There's opportunities to serve. There's opportunities for you to do something very significant for the kingdom of God. Point number three, Nehemiah faced opposition and... uh, Life doesn't go without opposition, especially when you step out to do something significant. In everything we do for the kingdom of God, there will be opposition. Uh, Many of you uh, faced opposition just to get here this morning. (laughs) You know, I got in the car, and I don't know if the key fob is, you know, not quite working. But I have one of those push-button starters, and I'm not necessarily in favor of those things. I, I prefer the key you stick into the ignition and, and turn it. And I pressed the button, and it said, uh, no key fob available. I said, I'm looking at it in my hand. Okay. I pressed the button again. So I said, well, what the, is the battery dead? So I locked the doors, and it locked. Then I pressed the button again, and it started. So I'm here. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, that might be trivial as far as opposition is concerned, but maybe you have a little infant, and um, before, as you're heading out the door, uh, the infant has a blowout, you know? <laughs> <laughs> My wife remembers many of those times, right, Deb? <laughs> yeah, so anyway, yeah. Uh, baby Beck, Michaela and Andy's uh, son, uh, three-month-old, you know, had a major blowout on the airplane. Yeah, right up the back, all the way. And oh, that's really nice. <laughs> Enjoy flying with Frontier Airlines. And all. <laughs> yeah, okay. Where am I? Well, opposition. This guy, maybe you're talking about Sandballot, that dude. I mean, he was not a nice guy. He was insulting. He was intimidating to the Jews. He said, you guys can't build this thing. Who do you think you are? He was trying to get in their face, get in their uh, place to discourage them from doing the work. And, and you'll see that in Nehemiah chapter 4. But um, let me just fast forward this because we're going to have a time of communion. What opposition are you facing that is hindering you from holding back, from serving the purpose of God for your life? What's holding you back? Because anything holding you back is opposition. You know, we deal with these things called strongholds. And a stronghold is anything that has a stronghold on you. And what I like, I like a verse that says, the Lord is a stronghold for the upright. See, I want God to have a stronghold on me. I don't want any other thing to have a stronghold on me other than the Lord himself. And, and so... There's opposition that you're facing right now, and, and I believe you can identify it. Uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist for you to realize, okay, this is my opposition I need to deal with. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's infirmity. Maybe it's a relational issue. Maybe there's things that you're dealing with that you just don't know how you're going to get through. You're facing opposition. 
there's hope for you in the midst of opposition. Um, so when opposition, actually, when opposition comes, we must hold to God's perspective. I'm going to have the worship team come up at this time. When opposition comes, we must hold to God's perspective. I believe a significant aspect of Christianity is the renewing of the mind, which is really a reprogramming of the way we think. It's a reprogramming process resulting in transformation. A transformed life occurs when we embrace the new reality of who we are in Christ. See, our life in Christ is our new default, or it's our new reference point that we should live out from, okay? And a number of months ago, the Lord began to uh, just speak some things to me. Uh, as I was reading the scripture, I realized this is my new reality. So you may be living in the old reality or a present reality, but God has a new reality that he wants to give you. And that begins when we come to a place of decision in our life where we commit our life to Jesus Christ, where we receive him as Lord. Now, I want to extend this morning an invitation to everyone here and for those that are viewing us online. Realize that Jesus came to this world with a distinct purpose and a mission, and that was to save sinners like you and me. No one can save themselves. We were born into this world with this sin nature that was passed on to us from Adam and Eve. Sin corrupted humanity and the human race. Jesus became the solution for that by coming to pay the price to deliver us from our sins. Through his death on the cross, he became a sacrifice for sin so that those who believe and receive him could be set free from sin. Now, something you need and I need is this thing called forgiveness. Forgiveness for our sins. And there's one who can forgive all sin. It has the power to forgive all sins. And that one is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Jesus said that. He is the way. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're not um, in a place right now where you've committed your life to Jesus and you're wholeheartedly serving him, I want to extend to you an invitation today to commit your life to him, to put your faith in him, to receive him as the Lord of your life. The scripture says, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we shall be saved. For with the heart man believes and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. From the heart he believes, resulting in righteousness, being made right with God, and with our mouth, we confess Jesus as Lord, which results in salvation. Let's stand up together.
begin to say, Pastor, I know my life is not right with God, but I'm willing to commit my life to Him today, to surrender to Him, to receive Him as my Lord and my Savior. If that's you, just lift your hand up. You say, I need to be forgiven. As God is moving in this place, I believe He's stirring hearts. And He's going to bring you from a dark place. He's going to bring you into a place where His light is, where His goodness is, where His love is. If you would repeat this prayer, we pray this prayer, we call it a believer's prayer. And don't just repeat these words, embrace them as your own with heartfelt meaning. Repeat after me, Heavenly Father. I come to you today. I acknowledge my need for forgiveness. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I believe you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. Lord Jesus, I put my faith in you today. I trust you with my life and I commit my life to you. Come into my heart and be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me of my sins and make my life what you want it to be. I surrender to you now. In Jesus' name. Now just take a moment and talk to him in your own words. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you are making a commitment to return to him, to come back to him, to renew your faith in him. He's bringing you from a dark place. Thank you, Jesus. You can go ahead and be seated. Once again, we're going to partake of communion at this time. And um, you have the elements at your seat. You have the wafer, the cup, which symbolizes the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for you. Communion is a place, I believe, where God can reveal himself to us in a very dynamic way. Communion is a place where we commune or relate to the God that we serve. Communion means fellowship. It's something we share as we interact with one another, something we have in common one with another. In Amos 4.3, the scripture says, For the Lord is the one who shaped the mountains, stirs up the winds, and reveals his thoughts to mankind. He turns the light of dawn into darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord God of heaven's armies is his name. What's interesting in this verse, I want you to notice the phrase, he reveals his thoughts to mankind. I believe in this moment that God wants to reveal himself reveal his thoughts to you. Maybe you're in a place 
where you've been unfaithful to God. Hosea 14.4 reads, The Lord says, Then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. I believe in this communion service, God wants you to know his thoughts, what he thinks about you. Psalms 139 says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God, they cannot be numbered. But he also wants you to know that his love has no boundaries. In fact, his love has no walls. <laughs> we need walls for other things, but his love can penetrate the walls. And God wants to heal us of unfaithfulness so that we can remain true to him. Maybe you've stumbled, maybe you've fallen. If at this time you want to take the wafer, we're going to pray. And we acknowledge when we approach communion that we first need to examine our hearts. And we need to search our hearts. And if there's unconfessed sin, if there's unforgiveness that we're holding towards someone or resentment, we need to release that person or persons. And we need to make sure that we're right with God. So before we partake, let's pray. And the Father, as we prepare to partake of the bread, we acknowledge that this was given for us, that Jesus gave his life for us. We ask that you forgive us of any sins that we've committed, that you would restore us, O oh God, in our hearts, that you remove shame and guilt from our life. As we partake of this bread, we're acknowledging and calling to remembrance, Jesus, what you did for us. We're calling to remembrance that you died on the cross, that you gave your life to bring freedom into our lives. In Jesus' name, we acknowledge that we are one with you and one with other believers as we partake of this bread together. In Jesus' name, go ahead and partake of the bread. Father, I, I just speak wholeness to broken hearts and broken lives. Jesus, you're the healer of the broken heart. Minister now in Jesus' name. Jesus, at the Last Supper, Scripture says he also took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, but Jesus shed his blood for us. And this cup is a testimony of that truth that Jesus died for you. He shed his blood for you. You know, we wonder sometimes, but how can we deserve this for the mess that we have? You know, sometimes we can beat ourselves up. Sometimes we can put guilt trips on ourselves, feeling so much shame and unworthiness. And we question, God, how can you love us so much that you would actually die in our place and take our penalty of sin? It was because of his love for you that he took your place. 
and he died for you. Let's pray before we partake of the cup. Lord Jesus, as we partake of this cup, we acknowledge that you shed your blood for us, that you died in our place, and that you gave us forgiveness of sins so that sins no longer have to be an issue that stands between you and us, but you've cleansed us and washed us from all unrighteousness, everything wrong, in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for forgiveness now that flows in this place. Let's partake together. Thank you so much again for tuning in to the Refuge Official Podcast. We hope that this message spoke to you in a very meaningful way and that you were able to receive from the Lord today. If you chose to give your life to Jesus today or would like to find more of our content, we would love for you to get connected with us on our website at wearerefuge.net. Be blessed and have an amazing week.